It's great to be with you this morning. Really, really great. We have a, an evening church. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. We have an evening church. And uh, I'm going to leave from here and try to make it back <laughs> for our evening church. So that'll be fun. Um, but it's really great to come down here. I uh, think Sam and Shirley are amazing people. And uh, they're good friends. And it's fun to be part of a of a wider community. Sometimes when you're in a local church, you can feel like it's just your own little thing. But to be part of every nation and with uh, people like the Bardonis, it's just, uh, it just feels like family, extended family. So we're gonna do today a kind of, uh, I think Pentecost Sunday is coming up in a few weeks. And so my timing is way off, but maybe this will be a precursor to that week. We're gonna look at Acts chapter two, verses one to 13. This is a verse that I've been, uh, past a scripture that I've been thinking a lot about these days, and I hope it's going to be beneficial to you as we work through this together. So I'm going to read it out and then make a few comments on it. When the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, by the way, is 50 days after Passover, and which is when Jesus uh, died and rose again. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, so it began as one, and then came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation, see, get it? And uh, we're part of that. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So what is the background of this passage is actually the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, it's recorded that there was only one language spoken at that time. The whole world had one language. And uh, the trouble was, that's good news, but the trouble was they were using their unity to build a name for themselves instead of God's name. And so God then confused their language by creating multiple languages because he didn't want them to use their unity to build a... a um, a relationship that would separate themselves from God in the worship of him. Now, what Acts chapter 2 does is actually reverse the Tower of Babel. So we had the whole world speaking one language, then we have multiple languages, and now in Acts chapter 2, we have one language again. But this language is a spiritual language. And this is a language in which they all exalted God's name instead of their own. It says in, in verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, let me just make a, a few comments on that. Uh, what I think we see in this passage are two spiritual gifts in operation here. The first is speaking in tongues, and then the second is what the Bible describes as the interpretation of tongues, the ability to understand what's being said and to hear it and understand it in your own language. We know that this is true because it says, um, uh, when they heard this, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So that's like impossible, right? You can't hear, if you're all speaking different language, or you understand different languages, but you hear them speaking in your particular language. So what's going on is, uh, is there's people are, are able to hear people speaking in tongues, they hear it in their own language. I have two experiences of this uh, to be true. One is uh, he became a good friend of mine, but he, uh, the first time he ever came to church, he was a, uh, a biker dude and he had the leather chaps and, um, and he, he looked apart really well. And so he came into church, first time ever, sat in the back row, kind of slouched, barely interested. And uh, then some people came up to him after the service, says, what did you think of the service? And he says, well, uh, it was okay, but what really fascinated me was there was a woman in front of me who was singing words that described God in the most incredible of ways. I've never heard him described that way. And he was so enthralled with who he heard God to be that he became a Christian the first time that he ever attended a church service. Well, that person who was singing in front of her was in front of him was actually singing in tongues and he heard her in his own language known as English very cool uh, this happened again we were uh, my wife had a kind of a prayer and prophecy evening for women and there was a woman again who just happened to to not know Jesus and she came to the she came to the um, the evening and uh, she was, as she was being prayed for, the person who was praying was speaking in tongues first and then was prophesying uh, over her. So she drives back with her sister, says, what'd you think of that? And she says, it was really good. But that woman described God in ways that I have never thought of or imagined. And if that's who God is, I want to get to know him better. Well, she was speaking in tongues and she heard uh, her speaking in English. <clears throat> Just tell you one more story because it's kind of fun. There's, a, there's a, a, a book that I, so those are personal encounters that I have of that. <clears throat> there was a, uh, there's a book that I read that talked about a missionary who went to another village in China, preached the gospel, spent a number of months there establishing a church that then had you know, multiple small groups that were multiplying, really, really great story. <clears throat> spent, spent a number of months there went back home, came back to see how the small churches were doing, and they couldn't understand what he was saying. It turns out, this is just too weird, right? But it turns out that um, the first time that he went there, they all heard him speaking in their dialect. And he didn't know, and they didn't know that they actually spoke different dialects. And so they hear him for six months speaking in their own language. And, uh, and then they come, he comes back later and they don't understand because now that gift wasn't in operation. Isn't that shocking? Anyways, so here's, uh, here's what we can draw from that. That um, uh, speaking in tongues is a common language that all Christians can participate in and what that language is full of is the worship of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm praying, it's just hard to, it's hard to put into words what I'm feeling or wanting to express to God. 
Well, speaking in tongues is incredibly handy. You just open your mouth in faith and you speak and that faith is a blessing to God and, the, uh, and then how he receives that is words of worship and praise. It's an amazing gift. You know, every gift of the spirit is given so that we can love others. And tongues is unique in that the person that we love in the exercise of that gift is God himself. So while other gifts are gifts of healing and, and prophecy, this is a gift that is uh, to help us worship and express our adoration of God. So our unity then, as the church, our unity is built on one language of worship. So here's the problem. Uh, is our false identities, our false worships, if I can use that word, in our lives. That there are things competing for Jesus being worshiped as Lord. In Galatians 3, verse 28, it describes three kinds of things that we can have a false identity in or worship instead of Jesus. It says in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, so that's an ethnic identity, neither slave nor free, that's a social identity, there's neither male nor female, that's a gender identity. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then the very next verse goes on to say that we're all sons of Abraham. What that's saying there is that what Abraham did is set us an example, that he left his ethnic and social identity, left and went into the promised land, and he's kind of a prototype for what God is inviting us into that we would leave behind our other identities and that we would claim that we only have one identity and his name is Jesus Christ. So, want to be clear that uh, God values ethnicity. In Revelation 7, 9, it says that the nations are gonna be worshiping God. So God values ethnicity. He hates social injustice. He values men and women equally. But when our culture, status, gender, or opinions um, become identities, they're not worthy to have that place in our heart. This right now is a very big deal in society and in the church. As a pastor, what I sometimes feel is that it's my responsibility to somehow juggle all the identities that people have whether it's an ethnic identity that says, uh, uh, you know, I'm a particular ethnicity and I want to make sure that my ethnicity is rightly valued in this church. Particular gender, I want to make sure that masculinity and femininity is being rightly valued. Um, a social kind of a pocket of society, here is described as slave or free, but whatever it is that, uh, that I've kind of attached myself to, uh, and it's your responsibility, Pastor, to make sure that you're juggling all of that and making sure that my personal identity is being valued. What I find incredibly sobering in our culture today is that there seems to be a lack of us joining something that's greater than ourselves, that we instead want that greater thing to validate who we are and in our own little uniqueness, whether it be ethnic, gender, or social. I think this is very, very troubling. It's very hard right now to have unity in the church, let alone society. 
And I think the primary reason that we experience division in the church is if we have an identity other than Jesus Christ. So how can we tell when our ethnicity, which again, all these things are God-given, when our ethnicity, our, our social sphere, or our gender, how can we tell when these become identities? It's when they separate us from God and others. So if you feel on the outside of church because of your ethnicity, or if you feel on the outside of church because uh, men or women aren't being properly valued, or my own you know, um, social sphere isn't being rightly reflected in this community, it, uh, it's become a false identity and it's going to ultimately separate you from God. So the good news is, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the, the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. His purpose was to create in himself one new, new humanity. When our identity is in Christ alone, our diversity actually unifies us. What, what is remarkable about Christian unity is that as we're unified under the Lord Jesus Christ, our diversity is actually incredibly valued. And so you heard of the different um, service opportunities in your church. We get to be incredibly diverse in our gifting and talents and personality and, we, and uh, our ethnicity. We get to be very, very diverse. But the way that we're able to get along in that diversity is through our unity of Christ. And as we're unified in him, our uniqueness actually becomes more important. In, uh, uh, when I teach on marriage, there's a saying that I really like. It says about marriages, if both of you are the same, then one of you isn't needed. And the idea is that uh, in family, uh, you know, uh, I remember one of the first times my wife and I, Debbie, were prophesied over. And this uh, guy lays his hands on our shoulders and he says, there's never been two more different people. And I thought, great, thank you. I've already experienced that. And uh, thank you for confirming that. But the idea was, is that Debbie and I are just super different. Um, I cry semi-annually. Uh, Debbie, Debbie cries, I think, every day. I think she cries every day. Often tears of joy, but I think she cries every day. You know, I, I cry now and then. <clears throat> More then than now. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite, you know, cerebral and my wife just hates reading. I wrote a book a while ago, and she, uh, and she really wants to be supportive, you know. So I, she, she gets the book, and uh, she goes to Starbucks and finds a really, really comfortable chair and has her favorite drink, and she's going to read my book. And she gets in about five pages, and she just goes, she comes back crying, and she says, Greg, it's so boring. She says, I just can't, I can't get through it. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> so our solution was that I read it to her, and then she really liked it. But uh, she just doesn't like, uh, she doesn't like reading. But here's the thing, is that we both love each other, and we both love Jesus. And because of that, our diversity is a huge blessing. To us personally, and we have 11 children, to all of our children, it's, uh, it's fun to watch which parent our child will go to at any given time. You know, when they just want to be somebody to cry with them, they'll go to see Debbie. When they uh, want some counsel and work through something, they might come and see me. 
But it's fun to watch the diversity in our family operate when we're all focused on one Lord and one worship. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. So here's my point. Um, Do you sometimes feel as though you're on the outside of church? Perhaps the reason for that is you have embraced an identity that's other than Jesus. That maybe it's not because you're not welcome or that people, you know, aren't like you. Of course they're not like you. Who can be like you? But that diversity only separates us when we have an identity in our diversity instead of our identity in Jesus. Does that make sense? So if I'm feeling on the outside of my own church, I'm the lead pastor, I can feel on the outside of my own church. I don't know if anybody else in our church is my age and my own particular way of experiencing life and hobbies or whatever it is, I can feel on the outside when my uniqueness becomes an identity instead of a blessing to the greater good. One of the things, so I'm Canadian, one of the things that I've appreciated, I I purposely did my doctoral degree in America because I didn't want it to be Canadian. Because one of the, one of the things that I love, I've, I've loved about America is the ability for Americans to have, their, to have a national identity. Canadians don't have a national identity. The joke is, is that all Canadians know about being Canadian is they're not American. That's, all, that's the only thing, it's our, you know, just kind of, but we're not Americans. It's that younger brother insecurity, you know. And I, every time I've come to America, I've been overwhelmed with the ability for Americans to join something bigger than themselves. Remember the first time I experienced this, I was in Nashville uh, visiting a friend, and we went to a high school football game. High school football game. So, uh, and I go to the the stands, and there's 5,000 people watching this football game. I've never seen this before. Hockey's our thing. And uh, you go to a hockey game, you know, high school hockey game, and there's, you know, three parents shivering on the sidelines waiting for it to be over, you know. And you go, 5,000 people. This is incredible. And it's televised. And there's, I just remember thinking, there's been a gift that Americans have that they're able to join something bigger than themselves for a common good. I've really respected that. Uh, uh, it's said that Canada is... Uh, in a negative way, five to ten years ahead of America in terms of individualism, uh, which is an embarrassment, of course, for us. But you're on your way. And what I've watched, just watching from the outside, I hardly know anything about your country, but what I've watched from the outside looking in is I'm worried for you. I'm worried that other identities are capturing your heart in a way that don't allow you to be, to be united. Now, I don't really care whether you have a national identity. It doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I mean, anyways, uh, don't take that too seriously. But, uh, but what I really care is that if that starts to infiltrate the church and we don't have an identity in Jesus Christ, this is very concerning. And so if we say that my culture, my ethnicity, my gender, my hobby, whatever it is, is going to define me, that sounds beautiful, and I almost guarantee it will become divisive if it becomes an identity. It can be a thing, just not an identity. You okay with that? This is a big deal. 
and you watch what's happening in your country, and it's worrisome. It really is. So how do we receive our identity in Christ? How does this happen? Well, we see two things in this passage. The first is the willingness to be mocked. In verse 13, it says, Some made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Um, I remember I became a Christian when I was just a little kid. I was 11 years old. And uh, I did fairly well at school and athletics and was, I, I guess, a popular kid. And I remember uh, in one year, I, I told all my friends about Jesus, and I lost all my friends in one year. I'm sure it was because I was tactless. But, uh, but I did. And uh, I remember being mocked for my faith. And it hasn't really stopped. Now, here's what's so fascinating about speaking in tongues. Uh, people do research on things. And so people have researched what speaking in tongues is. Now, some people say that there's two kinds of speaking in tongues. One is kind of a private prayer language that is Babel. And then there's another kind of speaking in tongues that's speaking in another um, human language. Well, they, uh, researchers have actually tested people speaking in tongues. I just think that's a funny thing to do. Anyways, they did that. They tested and, and what they discovered is that there's no vocabulary or, uh, or sense to, uh, to the, the language of speaking in tongues. It is quite literally Babel. Uh, a reversal of Babylon, of course. But there's, it's, it's nonsensical to the, uh, to the human mind. I think this is perfect. I think that we need to be able to do things that offend our mind for the worship of Christ. And, and tongues is a gateway into living a life that's nonsensical, but is lived by faith. I think speaking in tongues is incredibly practical as a doorway into that kind of life. The question that we need to ask ourselves as Christians, if you identify yourself as a Christian, will you look foolish in front of those who wants to find you? Will you look foolish in front of those who wants to find you, who you had an in-group with, and you know now that you don't quite fit in because it's not your identity anymore. You have a new identity. And you'll actually be labeled as a traitor in that group. I thought you were one of us. What happened to you? I have a new Lord now. I have a new identity. I can still be male or female. I can still be white or black or Latino, whatever it is. And I can, I can still have a particular job and have a particular social circle. But those things don't define me anymore. Jesus does. And I can almost guarantee that as you go back into the world that once defined you and was your identity, you will be persecuted there but it's a high calling to be persecuted for the name of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves and look foolish in front of others, grace comes, and this is our second and last point. So we receive our identity by will, being willing to be mocked, by willing to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. I'm not defined by those other things. I might value them, but I'm not defined by them. But then we receive the Holy Spirit. So they all spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit 
enabled them. So the point is that unity, this ability to have one language, is a miracle. It's a miracle to have unity. And so, will you receive the miracle of speaking in tongues? It's a miracle. You can't manipulate that or make that happen. Something that's given to you. Let me tell you uh, my story of, of speaking in tongues. So, um, I grew up in, the, in a great church. It was just a, a great church. After we, My whole family became a Christian in a matter of six months. I was raised in a non-Christian family, and then we all became Christians. It was really great. It was during a, a time in, in um, Western history called the Jesus People Movement. Lots of people came to Christ, and my family was one of them. And, um, uh, but the church that, I, uh, uh, that we were a part of did not believe that the gifts of the Spirit were for today. The idea was is that we have the Word of God. This is the truth of God. And so we don't need experiences. That's almost like a lack of faith that you would need those things because we have God's Word. So uh, I was living in a dormitory at, uh, I was going to the University of British Columbia at the time, and in that dormitory was a Pentecostal, a guy who was going to, actually where I ended up going, Regent College, he was preparing to be a pastor, and uh, he was a Pentecostal, a charismatic. And so he would take me out for, uh, I don't drink coffee, but we went out for a coffee, went out for a drink, and he, uh, and he would try to convince me that the gifts of the Spirit were for today. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I would just win the arguments, you know. And um, he was just a little deceived. He's a nice guy and everything. He was just, he wasn't as enlightened as I was. And so, uh, so I would explain to him how, you know, we don't need those things. Those are a crutch for the weak, and we have the Word of God, and you obviously don't have faith in the Word of God. And so, so anyway, so this is how it would go. So we would go out quite often, and each time, just being honest with you, I would win the argument. And so I remember this one time, I'm, we're, we're going out again, I win the argument yet again, and uh, he gets into my car for some reason, I don't remember why, and he lays his hand on my shoulder, and I feel spiritual power going through my body. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, nuts, I lost the argument. <laughs> I'm so full of pride, you know? I, God, I lost the argument. How can you argue with, you know, power? And so, I, again, I'm so full of pride, I don't even let him know what happened. I go, thank you very much for praying. You know, out you go. And then uh, I'm driving away, and the first thing that goes through my head is, I should speak in tongues. So two minutes before that, I didn't believe any of that stuff. And then I thought, what an outstanding idea, I should speak in tongues. So I speak in tongues, go off to a Bible study, I, 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 I drive back home. And um, this is just my experience, all right? So it doesn't have to be your experience, but it's mine. Uh, I, I'm driving back home speaking in tongues, and I've never been physically drunk. Uh, but I get the attraction because I was thoroughly intoxicated in the Holy Spirit. I, could, I had a stick shift back then. I could barely shift. And I, I get home, and I'm just in love with Jesus and in his presence. And I'm just, I'm just lying in the car. And I remember... Uh, this was a point where I'd actually moved out of the dormitory, now living somewhere else, and, uh, and I remember the landlord knocking on the window going, you okay in there? And I says, I am okay. <laughs> and uh, as soon as my legs will work, I'm going to get out of this car. <clears throat> now, I think God did that just because I'm so thick and proud. I think that's what was going on. 
I don't think that that has to be everyone's experience, but it was mine. And uh, God bypassed my mind into a unity with him and with the church that's built on who he is and his love and his power and not my ability to understand something or be identified by lesser things. So I think it is a profound but strange reality that God would found his church, the first evidence of the church of Christ would be founded on this thing called speaking in tongues. Like what a weird thing to build a movement on that's lasted for thousands of years. But I think it's ideal because number one, tongues is humbling. It's hard to open your mouth. I remember. I still remember. I still, I, I go, embarrassing is the first thing that goes through my head. You know, it's the first thing that goes through my head. I go, yeah, I know. But there's a bigger thing going on than my pride. And if tongues only kills my pride, it's worth it right there. But it's more than that. So it's humbling. It's one language. It's a common language. Now again, uh, scripture is very clear that not all Christians speak in tongues. So this is not meant to be any slight against people who don't speak in tongues. You're not a lesser Christian. Doesn't mean you have less faith. None of that's going on. It's just an invitation. So please don't hear it in any other way. There's no judgment here. But it is an identifying, unifying factor. And it's a language of worship, which is, which is the foundation of the church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's what unifies us. It's our worship of Jesus. And that we can all say amen to, whether we speak in tongues or not. And it's by faith. When we, uh, when we uh, encourage people to speak in tongues, we, we go through scripture and, and just explain how, you know, uh, God is good. And that when we ask for, uh, that when we ask for gifts, he, uh, he gives good gifts to his children. We don't need to be afraid or suspicious. And we show how it's rooted in scripture. And then, uh, and then we pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit here are filled again multiple times in the book of Acts. So it's not just a one-time experience. But it is an initial experience we see here. And... Um, and then what we say is, we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to start speaking in tongues, and then you can just join in. And what you do is you open your mouth in faith, and you vocalize without knowing what you're going to say. They go, well, how do you do that? Uh, you open your mouth, and you vocalize not controlling what you're going to say. And that takes faith. Listen to me. The faith that it takes to do that is sweet to God's ears. No one does that unless you're trusting in Jesus. Nobody walks through. I mean, there's, I've seen a few people in the streets here. But anyways, uh, most people are not babbling, uh, you know, willingly. But here we are. Uh, I remember this story being told by a guy named John Wimber who kind of started the vineyard churches 30 or so years ago and praying for a guy who was an academic and he's had a similar experience to me where he's kind of on the floor, can't move, speaking in tongues and then he cries out in the midst of this experience. He says, but I'm an educated man. <laughs> you know, this is so embarrassing. And uh, I think that that's beautiful 
because our identity isn't in our education. Our identity is in him. And this is what sets us free. I'll just tell out one more story because I think it's helpful. Um, my wife, Debbie, we met when I was in college. She had a friend who was going to the same university. She joined her friend, uh, came to our Bible study. We became really good friends. And uh, she came over one day and uh, she grew up in a Lutheran church that uh, also didn't believe in, in uh, practicing the gifts of the Spirit. They, she was raised that tongues was of the devil, is what she was taught. And so she came over to, uh, to my dorm room. I had one of my other friends there. And I says, hey, have you ever spoken in tongues? She says, no. I says, well, why don't, why don't we we'll just pray for you and we'll speak in tongues? And she's just, she just doesn't want to say no, but she's saying no in her heart, you know? <laughs> like she's trying to be polite, but she doesn't want any part of this. And she, she says, uh, my Bible was there, and she's clinging my Bible. Her knuckles are white. She's just so nervous in this moment. And, uh, and so I, I say, uh, you know, we're going to pray, and then you can pray. I said the same thing that I just said to you. And then, um, and then she says, okay, um, I've got to say something right now. Not sure what to say. So back then, there was this Christian artist, and uh, her name was Amy Grant, and she had a song that was, had some Hebrew in it. It was something about Adonai and something, you know. And so she says, well, I can't say like Adonai because you know I'm cheating. So I'll just mix it up a little bit. And so she, she said something like Adonai, but just slightly different. And then she tells a story that I go, there, you've got it, you know. And she goes, I don't have anything. I just made that up right now. And I said, so then I said to her back then, I says, okay, what I want you to do is I just want you to keep saying that over and over again all the way home. So she gets in her car, she's driving home, and she just says that word that she made up over and over again. And she says, by the time I got home, I was so overwhelmed with the power and presence of God, I fell on the floor of my room and I just worshiped him for his goodness and greatness in my life. I think that's such a powerful story because it's what God is like. We do, we do stuff that isn't that great, but we do it in faith. And God takes our feeble expressions of faith and he fills them with his divine presence. Isn't that beautiful? So it's not about our performance. It's not about how well we do something or whether we got it or not. It's whether we're expressing faith and God meets us in that place. In conclusion, in 2018, 60 million Americans experienced identity theft. We all suffer from spiritual identity theft is even more epidemic. People really care about their identity being stolen. But what if our identity in Christ has been stolen by the culture around us? And a culture around us screams at us and says, be identified by us. Be identified by things other than Jesus. But God calls us to a new identity, and it's recorded in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises, there it is again, a, a, a language of praise, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So here is the invitation. Are we going to have a worship song again? Good. We're going to have communion. You're going to lead us in that? That's perfect. So here's the invitation. Uh, will you, just concentrate for one more moment, will you uh, join in one voice of worship?
will worship be what defines you? The worship of Jesus. Not the color of your skin, not your education, your what work you do, ethnicity. None, will you let the worship of Jesus define you and be your identity? And as we worship, we'll worship in English. Uh, if you want to worship in tongues, we're going to pray for people after the church service to be able to speak in tongues. But however we worship, we do worship. And, we, and that is our unity, and that's what bind us, binds us together as the church. Some people have said to me, why do I have to speak in tongues? And the answer would be, why not? Why not? Why not? And if you feel afraid, I do too. And so what better way to overcome our fears than to uh, mock our pride and humble ourselves and open our mouth in faith? And if uh, for the rest of your life, all you do is worship in English, God bless you. We're unified in the church in our worship of Jesus. But if you would like the opportunity to speak in tongues as well, then God bless you as well. God will be there to meet you in that place. Can I please pray for us? Father, I thank you for the unity that we have in Jesus. And we say that the things that once defined us are inadequate to define us. If we were athletic, we get old. If, uh, if it was our intellect, um, we can get senile. There's no other identity worthy to define us aside from the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask now that you would give us the grace to lay down these false identities and that we would be able to say that Jesus and him alone defines us in who we are. I pray that you would give us the freedom to humble ourselves and to uh, speak worship of you even if it means that we would be mocked that you would give us the grace to be defined by you and you alone. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, Greg. We're going to have a moment of worship. As Pastor Greg said, we're going to receive communion. Some of you might be wondering to yourselves, why on earth did Simon ask Greg to talk about that? Um, I didn't. I didn't. Um, we didn't really talk much at all about what exactly he, he asked me. And I said, you know, um, if you would just pray and, um, and be led by, by the Spirit to, to share something that you think is going to really build up our church, that, that would be fantastic. And we left it at that. Um, and I just I wanted to sort of make that clear because um, I know some of you are sitting here like that. Simon must have asked him to talk about that. Nope. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you did. On, on so many levels. On so many levels. Um, God gives his grace to the humble. Um, what we don't need is to, to, to figure everything out so that we can feel like we, we have a handle on things and we've got all the answers and, and now I feel secure and in control. We, we don't need more of that. We need more of, of Jesus to lead us and to help us and to empower us and to, to tell us who we are. That's what we need. So we're going to receive communion now. Um, this isn't 
an invitation to a spiritual experience. Um, there's a lot of places you can get that. Um, this is first and foremost an invitation to, to come into relationship uh, with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father, um, and He has made a way. He's made it possible. The way He did is very, very humbling in of itself. Um, came down off of his throne and he died for us he died for our sins we can be forgiven um, that we can be made clean that we can be adopted we can come home um, that cost him everything he died for us body and blood and so when we receive communion um, we're acknowledging that fact we're thanking Jesus for that. And uh, we're even admitting to ourselves that, oh yes, I do need a savior. Um, I don't just need more answers. I need, I need God. So we take the bread and we dip it in the, the juice. That's of course symbolic of his body and blood. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making a way for me to come home and to receive um, all of who you are, that you might fill my heart with your love, that you might give me gifts, that you might come and live inside of me. Um, everything else flows out of that. And so that's why we begin with communion, by receiving. Now, if you do not identify as a Christian, if you're still figuring that out, um, then I don't want you to feel any pressure now. Don't feel like you've got to get up and get in line. Um, and... I want to invite you, very simply, if you would like to begin that journey, you're very welcome. Receive communion this morning. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, I receive what you did for me. Don't understand it all, um, but I do understand that I need you. I need you to define me. I need you to save me, to forgive me. And you're very welcome to receive communion this morning. Can we stand together, please?